Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast. Today, unthinkable allegations about non-consensual medical procedures performed on female prisoners. Today, we're going to hear from a whistleblower. As an interesting aside, some of the most important truths about ethical or even criminal wrongdoing inside government agencies or companies comes from whistleblowers. The typical story of a legitimate whistleblower I found is that they discover what they perceive is a wrong, they try to fix it, they find that their immediate supervisors aren't responsive, they escalate it thinking, surely as long as the big boss knows this is going on, it will be fixed. And then they're stunned to learn that even when the thing is known at the highest levels, it's not going to be fixed. In fact, now, in a typical case, the whistleblower is treated as if he or she is the problem and that the solution is shutting him or her up rather than righting the wrong. Only when all else fails on the inside typically do they become whistleblowers and reach out to Congress, watchdog groups, or the news media, the latter of which most of them aren't eager to talk to, but it's a last resort. When I was an investigative reporter for CBS News in the early to mid-2000s, all news organizations were doing important whistleblower stories, exposing problems inside government, the pharmaceutical industry, Enron, the Red Cross, and other charities, Ford and Firestone, you name it. Some of my Emmy-nominated and winning reporting surrounded investigations that involved whistleblowers, And there was a lot of competition. All the news organizations back then wanted to be first to check out a whistleblower and, if legitimate, tell the story. I would try to beat the New York Times, the Washington Post, my colleagues at ABC and NBC getting to a good, legitimate whistleblower with an important story to tell. The competition was healthy. As long as we were careful with our reporting and our checks, I think it did a great deal of good. But as the news and media environment began to change drastically starting around the mid-2000s with corporate and political interests figuring out how to control narratives and news reporting, as I've written extensively about, nobody wanted the traditional whistleblower stories anymore. Some of the most important stories to be told couldn't get told. Instead of highlighting whistleblowers and the things they exposed, the media began villainizing them and smearing them for speaking out, defending the allegedly corrupt government or corporate entity. Well, I remained interested in whistleblowers and continued to press to tell their stories. Part of the reason I left CBS News ahead of my contract was when stories like that would get killed at a certain level. They were certainly supported by my immediate bosses, by the attorneys who reviewed my scripts, by the producers I worked with, but they would reach a certain level And somebody would come down from somewhere and make sure these stories didn't air. They would never say they were killing them or why. They would just never be put on the schedule. One that happened to was an important story that I reported on the Dreamliner problems with the airplanes that were catching fire. I spoke to a very important whistleblower who risked a lot, really, to go on camera and talk about what he knew about the development of the problem, some batteries. And there was a lot of documentation court records, and even the head, the former head of the federal safety agency involved, saying that I had really found a smoking gun with this man's allegations and documentation. Can you believe that story never aired on CBS? After it was approved and vetted legally and went all the way up the road and was supposed to air, somebody didn't want it to air, and it didn't. And again, there were a lot of stories like that, some of those I've told, 
And that led me to want to depart CBS after really a great career there with a lot of great people, but led me to want to leave ahead of my contract because I saw that not only was CBS going in this direction, the entire news industry was going down that road. I heard similar stories from so many of my colleagues, and I knew it was sort of like fighting City Hall at that point. I'd done and tried everything I could do to fight the good fight from the inside, and it just wasn't going to happen. Fortunately, long story short, I left CBS and lucked into an even better job with my independent Sunday TV show called Full Measure, where we can still tell these stories that are so hard to find almost everywhere else in the media. In fact, it's sort of become bread and butter for me still. I look for whistleblowers and stories to tell after they're checked out. And I will mention here that most stories that you hear from whistleblowers, if you're a reporter, don't get told because you either can't check them out, can't do the proper due diligence, even if their story may be true, they really have to be bulletproof before you're going to go on the national news and talk about them. Or maybe they're true, but they don't have national significance when you're talking about only a limited number of stories that you can choose to do. Or maybe the whistleblower, him or herself, doesn't check out, doesn't feel like their story is maybe being told the way it should be. You find things that contradict what they're saying. And there are even cases you don't tell a whistleblower's story because you believe they're telling the truth, but there are so many gray areas with their history at the company or the government organization that they worked for that it would be hard for them to be the one to expose a wrong without them being so legitimately attacked for some things that it muddied the whole thing. So by the time I end up telling a whistleblower's story, you can count on the fact that I think their story is accurate to the extent that I can check it out. And I think it's important for people to know about. My TV program, Full Measure, this Sunday, March 5th, you will hear a scandalous story from a remarkable woman who stood up at the risk of her career. She's a licensed practical nurse, formerly of the Irwin County Detention Center in Georgia. Her name is Dawn Wooten. And today in the podcast, you'll hear an extended interview about the house of horrors she said she discovered. But before we hear from Dawn Wooten herself, keep in mind a few things. The facility that she implicates, as well as the main doctor involved in the alleged abuses of inmates, have denied they did anything wrong or that the women you'll hear about were mistreated in any way. And although they didn't do interviews, they have said the women were always given proper medical care that always met high standards. Keep that in mind. In short, they say Wooten is simply wrong about what she says she saw. Now here's Don Wooten. Um, the detention center is a, it was a ICE immigration hold facility where they detain immigrants as well as federal inmates inside of this facility. Men and women? Men and women. And what was your job there? My job there, I was a licensed practical nurse who carried various um, responsibilities. I was the med cart nurse, I was a sick cart nurse, I was a triage nurse. Um, so I did total capacity of inmate care at the facility. So bring us, tell us about the approximate time period in terms of what year, and if you know any more, remember any more specifics. When did you first start to sense that something was wrong? I was employed there the third time in October of 19, um, around March of 20. We were experiencing COVID. And I remember talking to a supervisor and seeing the forms that needed to be filled out, sent to the health department. They were not being sent to give an adequate number of uh, COVID positive inmates that we had inside the facility. 
the medication forms and the inmate forms that were supposed to be sent were being shredded um, along with getting information from um, different ICE immigrant women that were inside the facility inquiring about what procedures they had. Who was shredding the documents? There was a colleague of mine that was shredding the documents inside the facility. You saw the person doing it? Yes. Did you say, what are you doing? Yes, I was like, hey, um, you're not supposed to do that. Her reply was, it'll be fine, they're duplicates anyway. Do you think that person had orders from someone to do so? What, what is your feeling as to why that was being done? It was a lack of patient care, a disregard of patient care. And those documents would have shown how many people had COVID, or what would, it have sh what would they have shown? They would have shown how many people had COVID, tested positive for COVID, would have shown who was tested, and it also would have shown the concerns that they were requiring and needing to know that there were ill detainees inside of the facility. You had a lot of ill detainees? Yes. Are these people who have been accused of crimes, by the way? Like, what, what was the range of why they were there? They were there for different, um, different aspects. A lot of them were asylum-seeking. Um, some of them had committed some major, some minor crimes. But they were being held where they had to be, that they couldn't come and go as they pleased? Yes, they had okay. to be. So um, did you start s sort of raising concerns about that before you found out about more? Or did you find out about more and this all started to balloon into something you had to speak about? It started out with um, a few, um, then it became more arrays. Tell me what happened next after you saw the shredding of the documents. I reported to my supervisor, and the response that she gave was, girl, she know better than that. Those are her license. What does that mean? In other words, um, I mean, it's on her. Those were her license. So if she didn't value her license, she knew she wasn't supposed to be shredding. The supervisor knew she wasn't supposed to be shredding, but she wasn't reprimanded for shredding them. And then what was the next kind of red flag that you saw when you were working there? The reports of COVID not being reported to the local health department. Is that required? Yes. And how did you come to find out that they weren't being properly reported? The supervisor at the time had forms on her desk, and I inquired about those forms on her desk, and I asked her, were they supposed to be logs? Were we supposed to be turning those in? She turned it over and told me to get the hell off her desk. So what did you do after that? It was like a shock. Um, I said, I wondered what was really going on and waited. With the, is this a private company operating the facility or a government-run facility? It's a private-owned facility for profit. And is that who you blame or were somehow the government operators they had a contract with, you know, whose fault or where was this coming from, do you think? Internally, I reported internally. Um, internal will have first eyes to correct measures. And then when did it come up? I mean, the most incredible part of your story probably is the part about the gynecological procedures that you found out that women were having. Can you tell me that? Did women begin to ask you questions about procedures they'd had, or how did that come to light? They would give me their A numbers to look in the system and they would inquire about procedures that they had previously had, some earlier on had. Um, they became 
like a family on the inside, one talking with another, and they had already put together that something was not correct. Um, after reviewing charts and looking at several charts, I then realized that they were all associated. And these are procedures that were taking place at the facility? They were taking place in a privately owned facility. A different facility than you were at? Where was that? I, it was taken outside of the facility. They were not done inside the facility. Oh, so they were de detained at the facility, but they would be taken out for some other procedure? Like, what was the story of what was happening to them? We had um, contracts with um, several physicians. Um, so they would treat them, and they would see them out. Inside, they would be treated for um, non-surgical procedures, but surgical procedures, they were taken away from the facility to be seen. What's a common reason a woman left the facility and then what happened to her unbeknownst to her? Reading the records, um, they would have heavy menaces, from heavy menaces to masses, from masses to surgical removal. And they would leave and go get treatment and what would happen? They would leave, go get treatment, and they would return back to the facility to be monitored. When did you discover or when did they discover that something else had been done to them I guess without their consent. They would talk about the incisions um, that they have had or would have on the abdomen laparoscopically, and they realized that there was invasive procedures that were done. How did you find out more about that? By researching the numbers that they would give me. It would be so many this week, so many today, so many tomorrow, and after a number of the same, recognizing and seeing the same procedures, I realized that it was a problem. What procedures were they doing? Hysterectomies and tubal ligations and tubal removals, ovary removals, DNCs. So you're saying that physicians were sterilizing these women without their permission and unbeknownst to them? According to the records that were found and released, um, they were being sterilized without consent. When you, do you remember when you first read the first record that said that, what your thought process was, where your head like spinning? As a nurse, as a single mom of five that I support alone, this was my means of income. This was my life. Nursing is my life. And as a nurse, we're mandated reporters. And in my mind, I'm going to, this can't be happening. I don't see what I see. I can't be observing what I see. This can't be the same for just about every chart. What is really going on was the question that I asked myself. How many women did you know of that this impacted? Are we talking a few or a few dozen? Um, we're talking 30 to 50. And were you the one that ended up telling some of them what had happened? Or had they already figured it out? I was the one ended up confirming to them that this is this is what happened. So tell me how that conversation took place with somebody. I was out on a med cart run or out passing medicines in the dorms and a young lady brought me a list with several names on it, several numbers. Hey Miss Wooten, can you check on this for us? So checking that list, taking it back, saying, Hey, this was done to you, that was done to you, you had this procedure. Then more lists came. Um, every day that I come to work, I was getting a list of 
names wanting to know what procedures were done and medical records requests. And most of them had had some kind of sterilization procedure performed? Yes. What did you do about that when you found out? When I found out, I immediately went to my supervisor and I asked my supervisor, I was like, I'm getting this list with these ladies are asking me what procedures that they've had um, unbeknown to them. She told me, I must not want my job, leave that alone. So I backed away from it. I sat down with my colleagues same afternoon and I was asking her, I was like, well, what is really going on? What did I miss? So my supervisor vicariously pushes her chair out and she says, girl, he getting that money. And she pushes her chair back in. So I'm still in the loop, he, like, who is it? What's, what's going on? So my colleague put a hand on my hand and said, Wooten, you might want to leave that alone. What did you conclude from that? Did you ever find out who he was supposed to be? Not until it come out in the media. Tell me what the answer was. When it come out in the media, um, it was a local physician that was there at the facility that they brought his name out in the media, and I was like, I didn't know what was going on or who he was. And what was he doing, supposedly? He was being accused of sterilizing the women in the facility. For money? The way the supervisor worded it, I can't say that's what he was doing or that's what his rationale for what was um, brought out in the media. But from the voice of the supervisor, that's the conclusion that they had drawn. Much more after a short break. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of cool products. A lot of them make great gifts that feature catchphrases like, I tested positive for critical thinking and do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the store tab. So what did you do about all of this when you're coming to work and it sounds like a house of horrors at this point? I left one afternoon um, teary-eyed and was wondering, what do I do now that I'm uneased and I have this information and they're human and I work here and I'm a nurse and I'm afraid that if something transpires, I'm going to lose my license. I'm mandated to report um, what I see that is not um, humane treatment. Um, I made a basis and I talked to my supervisor and of course I got the answer to leave it alone. I went um, internally um, to the head and I asked questions and I found myself being demoted and moved to a lesser status of employment. What was the reason given for you? What was the reason given for your demotion? That I was a no call, no show. Was that true? It wasn't. Okay, so then what happened? Um, we went in and had a meeting after asking. I figured this is the retaliatory aspect now. So I'm asking questions. I have a meeting with the deputy warden and we sit down and we talk. 
Um, we have a conversation. I wasn't satisfied with the conversation. I didn't want to sign a write-up, and I had a doctor's excuse that was never submitted into my file that I had a copy of. I sat down and talked with the warden, and he told me because I thought I was female and black enough to challenge his authority, then I would be made PRN, and he'll call me when he needs me. And what happened from there? I um, was in contact with the advocacy group, Project South. I went to a rally that they were having, and I spoke about what I saw, what I heard, what I seen, what I experienced, and it spiraled to a national story. That must have been a hard decision for you to decide to go public with the things that you'd seen. It was very, very hard. Um, living in the area that we live in that is still racially, systemically divided, um, this was an area to where this industry or this facility was the place that we made the most money um, fresh out of nursing school or as officers even um, as opposed to any other facility starting out nursing. So it was a high demand facility, um, well paying facility for what the status quo was at the time and it was a toss up between my license or a toss up between lives and I chose to toss up between lives. What came of you bringing these things to light? I was retaliated upon, unable to find um, employment that would allow me to work, blacklisting. If I obtain a, a, an employment in a place, and um, it depends on the timestamp. If I'm recognized sometimes before going into the door, I don't get the job. If I'm recognized at the interview, it's been that way, I don't get the job. Or if I find myself into the facility, um, like the last job that I worked, I was three days in. And that was the end of the job. How were you let go? Were you fired from your job? I was not fired. I'm tell, me, tell me how that ended. Um, I'm still on the roll PRN as an active employee that they never call to work. Didn't the facility close? The facility is still open. They closed the contract. I severed the contract for the immigration. Okay. So um, once you had spoken out publicly, what happened when you went back to work? When I spoke out publicly, um, I was PRN. I was never called. So the day that they demoted me was the last day inside the facility. Do you get paid? I don't. And what came of all of your allegations in terms of investigations or any action on the outside? I severed the contract with the facility, and the community um, turned their backs. No community support. No community help. Um, I can't go out in the community and grocery shop without somebody being negative um, or someone walking up saying, I bet you would have kept your mouth closed now. Or I've gotten phone calls from nurses that say, hey, we know it was wrong. If there's anything that we can do for you, but we just can't sit in the seat that you're sitting in at the moment. With the help of the whistleblower group, the Government Accountability Project, Wooten filed multiple complaints with federal bodies about what she says she found out. A Senate committee ultimately concluded that, quote, female detainees appear to have undergone excessive, invasive, and often unnecessary gynecological procedures. And they found that the doctor involved had previously paid a large sum of money to settle claims that he had committed Medicaid fraud in the past by ordering unnecessary and excessive medical procedures. That doctor, by the way, has been stopped from treating any more patients at the prison. His attorney told us that he denies any wrongdoing is beloved by his community, has always treated his patients with the utmost care and skill, 
and provides crucial medical care in an area where many do not otherwise have access. The federal government did act on Wooten's information, by the way, more than a year after she first began logging those alleged abuses. The Department of Homeland Security stopped using the center to hold illegal immigrants and ended its contract with the prison, stating, quote, we will not tolerate the mistreatment of individuals in civil immigration detention or substandard conditions of detention. You may wonder what happened to Wooten. If you've listened to me before, you know that things almost never turn out good for the whistleblower. For speaking out against a powerful employer in a small town, she claims she's gone from very busy working 12-hour shifts, having a great career, to food stamps and welfare. I hope you'll watch to see the story I put together Sunday, March 5th on Full Measure to find a TV station in your area in a list of times. Go to CherylAckison.com and click the Full Measure tab. If you don't have a station in your area, that's okay because at that Full Measure tab, you can find other ways to watch, including on our app Stir, S-T-I-R-R, which is free and has a lot of other cool programming. You can even watch live at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Sundays at FullMeasure.News fullmeasure.news slash live if you want to be specific. And you can catch replays there anytime after it airs on TV. Eyeshadow has come a long way since you swiped on one color at a time or practically had to take a master class in cosmetics to get the shading right. Hi, I'm Star, owner of the Lemonade Mermaid, and I've designed an exclusive shade-shifting multichrome pigment for eyes that's like no other you'll ever see. Just swipe it on your eyelids and the magic happens. Depending on the angle and light, it shifts between hues of gold and pink, or green and pink, and even purple and gold. The shading is done for you. Just $25 for a jar that will last you months. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off these incredible pigments by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and if you did, you'll leave a great review and share it with your friends. And check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, for more original reporting and interviews on off-narrative topics that powerful interests often try to censor. It's never been more important to support independent reporting. You can do that by going to the CherylAckison.com website, click the Store tab, and browse our great products, The most popular new slogan that I have on products there is, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All the old ones came true. Proceeds support causes like the Cheryl Ackeson Ion Awards, giving cash awards recognizing and encouraging independent off-narrative reporting by college students and professionals. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.